0: Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever, and me, Taylor McGilvery, and myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC podcast. It's
1: not always those big milestone moments that define your relationship with your family, right? It's the quiet moments around the dinner table or in the back of the car on a road trip. Luis de Filippas uses those small moments in her first feature film to tell a story about a young trans woman, a story she calls quietly revolutionary. Luis de Filippas is coming up. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Cube. Q.
3: with their family. It's a story about like acceptance. It's a story about like coming, the family coming to terms with it. And it's like, okay, that's all fair, but what happens after?
1: That's Louise DeFilippis talking about her debut feature film, Something You Said Last Night. I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power. Louise's film tells the story of a young woman named Renata, or Ren, who's stuck in the back of the car on a family road trip. She's sneaking hits from her vape pen clearly pretty bored and as they drive to a lakeside resort things on the trip get tense come on help me mama she's so picky which one blue okay what about
2: you
0: i don't
2: need anything no 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 no. you know how you get in the sun
0: can you stop
2: renata so help me god if you get sick i'm not gonna get sick
1: what comes next is a movie about a family learning to express their love for each other and maybe fumbling a little bit along the way as we all do When it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, Something You Said Last Night won a big accolade, the Changemaker Award. The film tells a different kind of trans story, one where the fact the main character is a trans woman isn't what's driving the plot. I spoke to Luis de DeFilippis in our Q studio. Hello. Hello. Congratulations. Thank you. This is your first feature film. It is. Yes, it is. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I mean,
3: it's been... It's been five years in the making from like when I first wrote it and then two years since we shot it and a year since we premiered it at TIFF. So it's been quite the journey. And, and in a lot of ways, I'm very proud of it and I'm very, I'm very proud of the people who worked on the film and like what we were able to accomplish with very little means. And in other ways, I'm kind of like itching to get to the next one because I'm like, this is old and it doesn't represent me anymore. Really? But, How so? Um, I think, you know... Your work can kind of work as like a time capsule in a way. It kind of is like a timestamp of like a particular time and a particular space and a particular moment in your life. And that's why I like film and why I love it so much. And this is definitely like a, a time capsule in a way that, that I watch it now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this really r- reminds me of who I used to be. Mm. But I feel like I've, I've really grown from this person almost because of the experience of making this film, which is really interesting, which it, is really meta in a way, I guess.
1: Yeah, because you're making a film that's largely inspired by life experiences that you've had. Why did you want to tell this particular story about, about a family on a road trip for your for your first feature film? Yeah, I mean, I think in
3: in tone and subject matter, it's, it's inspired by my short For Nonna Anna, which is about a trans woman and her relationship with her Italian grandmother, and something you said last night is similarly about a trans woman and her relationship with her immediate family while on vacation. Um and where the two films align, I think, is that they're both about trans women, not as trans women, but as trans women being accepted and seen as like intrinsic members of their family. So they're like sisters, their daughters, their granddaughters first, and their trans women second. That's where it all started, I think. Just like the need to see these stories, because I grew up like not seeing these stories. Like a lot of the times when we see trans women with their family, it's a story about like acceptance. It's a story about like coming, the family coming to terms with it. And it's like, okay, that's all fair, but what happens after? Yeah.
1: You've talked about um, this as a filmmaker about wanting to fill in some of the gaps. Um, Is that one of those gaps? I think
3: so. Like, I mean, one of the first images that came to me when when I started thinking about this film was this image of this trans woman and her younger sister in bed together Mm. with, like, one of them being on their phone and you just hear, like, the tick-tick-tick-tick as the other one's trying to fall asleep and it's just, like, this very banal, but very, like, nuanced moment. And I was like, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen just, like, a trans woman chilling with her sister and, like, you know, nothing's having to be explained. There's just, like, this very natural, very, like, organic relationship between the two of them, which I think is, like, quietly revolutionary in a way
1: yes it's subversive for sure and it's in its way right now there's also um, a really lovely scene with the mom that i want to play a clip Mm. of have a listen to this
2: oh you think that's funny
1: you think it's funny that i worry about you i worry about all three of my children i worry about you i worry about anthony i worry about sienna yeah but
0: you worry about me the most well with you it's different
1: you're smiling as
3: we play that why um just because that scene is so... I know it's a dramatic moment, but for me, it's just such a funny scene because I've had this conversation with my mom, like, one too many times. And and now, like, I can see where she's coming from. I think it all comes from a good place. I think it all comes from a place of, like, love and support. But really what I think these two characters are going through is, like, on one end, you have Mona, who loves her daughter very much, and moves through the through the world with this very like don't f- with me energy, don't f- with my children energy. And then you have Renata who moves through the world with this like I'm just not going to f- you energy. Mm. Um, so they and both are very valid, um, very valid ways to kind of like stand up for yourself. But what I think both women are doing is they are realizing that the way that Ramona wants to parent and the way that Ren wants to be stood up for both are. Valid, And they're both making
1: room for that in their relationship throughout the film. How did that play out for you when you were growing up? I mean, you said that you've had that conversation with your mom many times when you were growing up. I think
3: the conversation is still going on with my mom. Mm -hmm. We've kind of come to this place where my mother will be my mother and she's not going to change. And I've realized that you have to make space for the people in your lives to fulfill the roles that they want to fulfill in your life. And being loved by someone is actually quite more vulnerable than loving someone. And that's kind of where I'm at with my mom. So I'm like, if you want to stand up for me in this moment, in this way, then you can do that, but I'm probably just going to walk away and let you deal with it in the way that you want to do it.
1: Oh, wow. Being loved by someone is more vulnerable than loving someone. Say more about that. Why? Because you have to relinquish control, I think.
3: You have to be okay with the way that that person's going to love you, and ultimately maybe hurt you as well.
1: Mm. You have to let them love you as they as they want to, or as they the only way that they know how to. Exactly,
3: which might not align with the way that you would want to be loved. Or it's not it's not going to be perfect. It's it's never going to be perfect. Mm
1: I'm Talia Schlanger, sitting in for Tom Power, and I'm speaking to Canadian writer and director Louise De Felipas about her debut feature film. It's called Something You Said Last Night. Um, there are lots of beautiful moments in the film where we really know that this is an Italian Canadian family. Mm. We see, you know, a big giant stovetop espresso maker, and there's a very joyful scene when the family is blasting this old Italian pop song in the car.
0: Hey, hola, hola,
1: as if we're in the car
3: right now tell me about choosing the song i mean so this band is uh and poverty. it's a band um that i grew up to listening uh or grew up listening to rather <laughs> always blasting in the car like the family blasts it and it's it's kind of like the italian abba i would say like yeah. if you ask any italian they're like oh i know ricky and poverty and there's just like this element of like this bittersweet element, I think, that the song has this this element of like nostalgia and something lost, and I think it just perfectly encapsulates the feeling of the film and the message of the film. In in English, the song is talking about like these are all the reasons I love you, and it lists like because the moon shines and like all these things. And mm. I think it just perfectly describes the love that the family has for one another.
1: It's not the typical um, Italian family that you see <laughs> represented on screen. It's not, you know. Some uh, there, there are a lot of um, maybe stereotypical representations that come to mind of how a traditional Italian family might treat um, their daughter, mm-hmm. uh, might treat a member of the queer community. There are there, there have been lots of um, lots of representations that are not this. So, what did you what did you want to show, especially about your own family, in in the way that you're showing an Italian family here?
3: I guess it could be summed up in like one story when I initially came out to my nonna and i told her that i was trans she she looked at me and she was just like okay but that's not a problem because jesus loves everyone and then my mother was in the room and she was like but ma what's everyone gonna say and she was just like luis you do what you need to do you leave everyone to me and i think you know at the heart of it like a trans girl in an italian family like it's not always the case but what I've experienced is just, like, the matriarchs in my life, just, like, kind of, like, closing ranks and just being, like, she is who she is, and if you're going to with her, you're going to with us. Wow.
1: I love that so much. Can you tell me a bit more about your nonna? Like, I understand that that being at her house was sort of where you first experimented with with trying on clothes in a certain way. Can you say a bit more about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, my nonna Anna, I spent a lot of time with her growing up. She had this very, like, joyous energy to her. Like, nothing ever got her down. I don't think I ever saw her upset one day in my life. She knew what was important in life, and she knew how to, like, value that and put that first. She always used to have this line that, like, if she had all her grandchildren around the table at the same time, she'd be like, I just won the lottery. That being said, she had so many of us, but I think she what she did really well was she was able to make each of us She was able to make each of us feel like we were the favorite and that we were like very special in her eyes. And we were special for like the very particular qualities that each of us brought. And I think she also, to me, was kind of the foundations of like my storytelling and kind of where I see the groundwork of like the craft of storytelling happening for me. Like when I was little, like we would, I would spend a lot of time there and like every morning she would have her friends over and she would have espresso and they would have kind of like these gossipy and gab sessions and rather than going to play with the other kids, I would just sit at the table and just, like, listen to them. Because what they were doing was they were telling stories about their lives, about the old country, about war, about the lady down the street who didn't water her plants. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, these were lessons of storytelling to me. And I think I've I've taken them and kind of grown from them.
1: There's an element of confidence in womanhood that I hear in what you've just said about your nonna and about, you know, her sort of ride-or-die approach to your womanhood. Um, And I see that in the film in terms of body confidence and the way that you've represented uh, Renata's body. Like, I was watching her and thinking, like, oh, my God, if I had that body confidence when I was in my 20s. Can you say a bit about that side of things?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm so happy you brought that up because one of the many tropes about trans people trans women specifically in films is that like we're unhappy with how we look and we're always in the pers- we're always kind of like pursuing this idea of like perfection or pursuing this idea of like wanting to be different but to be honest that's not really the tea especially like when i look at my trans friends and like i look at how they move through the world they are the most like confident in themselves they are the most like stunning they are the most Beautiful people when we go to wherever we go. You know, we walk in the room and eyes are on us. Mm. And I think that's kind of the confidence that I wanted to portray. That was the confidence that I knew Ren had and that Carmen would elicit.
1: Carmen, the actor. Carmen, the plays. actor, yeah. yeah, Ren,
3: yeah. And, I, and I think what's important too is like to note that like her sister doesn't have the same confidence. Yeah. Even though she has everything that Carmen. Has or everything that Ren has. She doesn't have the same confidence, and I think that's important to note as well because I think it, that's another trope we see in films, like the idea of like the trans woman comparing herself to her sister, where at this time it's like, well, maybe her sister's actually comparing herself to the trans woman.
1: That's the feeling I got. Where does that confidence come from? Um, for you, I'm going to say, because we can't generalize to everyone, but yeah. for, for you, when you say what you just said about you know walking into the room and all eyes are on you, where does that confidence come from? I think it's learned i think it's like a
3: i think part of it is like a coping mechanism a part of it is like we know that eyes are going to be on us so we might as well like spin it to our advantage spin it to make ourselves feel the most like bold and the most powerful that we can um but i think again it also does come back to my grandmother like i I have to say that like when we'd go to the beach she would show up in like her skimpy two-piece bikinis and had no problem walking up and down that beach and never felt the need to cover up and like she was like 80 years old and, like, looked great. But also, a lot of the other women her age did not wear those outfits and, like, did not have the same kind of, like, confidence that my grandmother did.
1: Mm. Is she still with us to have seen the film?
3: No, she passed away about 10 days after Fornana was shot. So, she never got a chance to see Fornana Anna. She never got a chance to see this. But I, like, feel her around. I, like, I know she's she's there when I need her the most. And then even just, like, going back to, like, the, the the time capsule thing, like, I think I'm really happy that I did shoot for Nana Anna in her space because now, you know, that space doesn't exist in the same way. And I think that's what film does allow for. It. it allows for you to, like, stop time and kind of, like, look back at the moments that maybe you took for granted and kind of, like, hold those moments dear.
1: yeah. Maybe we'll end it here. Um, at the the start of our conversation, you said that you were sort of ready to move on and that this film, making this film gave gave you something. Could you say what, what making this film gave you that's making you ready for the next thing?
3: I think it gave me confidence, like confidence to say no with a period. It gave me a great friendship circle, like the people that I'm I knew that I was going to, like, work with very special people, but what I wasn't expecting was for the people that I met on this film to kind of become lifelong friends. And I think ultimately this film just gave me some peace in a way. Like, I can put this chapter of my life away and, like, move on to the next chapter.
1: Can't wait to see what it is.
3: Yeah, me too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I love hearing stories about people's grandparents, but I got to say Luis de Felipe's stories about Nonna are some of my favorites. Uh, Luis de Filippas is the director of Something You Said Last Night. The film premiered at the last Toronto International Film Festival. It won the Changemaker Award. It's in select theaters now. You can catch it. Also, recently, the actor and model Julia Fox signed on as an executive producer of the movie. We've got a short interview with her about the film, about Luis, on our Instagram. You can see that at CBCQ. Talia Schlenker, sitting in for Tom Power. You're listening to Q. What you're hearing now is the sound of the kulintang. It's the kind of bell-like gong sound. It's by the band Pantayo, who describe themselves as an all-women kulintang ensemble based in Toronto. They came together because the band members were looking to connect in a deeper way with their roots in the Philippines. So here's band member Kat Estacio talking to Tom Power about Pantayo's new album and introducing you to one of the new songs.
0: Hi, Kat. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you Tom? Thanks uh, so much for having me here.
0: It's it's my my pleasure. But before we talk about the song, here's what I'm c- curious about. So you all met over a decade ago. What made okay. each of you show up that day? Like what what made each of you want want to learn these instruments?
2: Um well that's the funny thing because it didn't happen over one specific day. I think during that time um we all came together with a purpose, not so much a uh, A calendar um, appointment. Um, So then the purpose is to learn more about our culture, what it means to be Filipino, what it means to be a Filipino person in Canada, in Toronto, um, and how how we can explore our culture through music. So um, when we came together, it was actually over a series of uh, a few months, I would say. And it was because of so self-directed workshops to learn Kulintang.
0: How did you feel when you started learning it?
2: Uh, personally, it felt pretty invigorating. Um, and I, I can speak for myself because uh, I grew up in the Philippines, in Manila, and there is a music room in our school um, that had these instruments, but it felt very closed off to the rest of the students um, and it felt like a decoration um, mm. because they're, they're gorgeous instruments. Um, but then the access to the physical um, instrument, the material object, and also the music was very, um, I guess it maybe it wasn't intentionally gate kept, yeah. but it was, <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, Uh, Coming to Canada, um, conversations about diasporic identity was um, kind of a culture shock for me, to be honest, because I never had to think about what being Filipino meant before that. Um, And then now when I plopped into a Canadian landscape where there's a bunch of different cultures just interacting with each other so beautifully, um, then that may be questioned also. And I think similar questions were popping into our, our minds for and, you know the each of the members of Pantayo at that time
0: so so how did how did you feel when you started playing
2: um it felt really awesome um there is a physical um effect on the body when when you play a, a percussion instrument and that feeling felt very electrifying i would say
0: for people who are curious listening to this right now about kulintang can you tell me um a, a little bit about the instrument
2: Yeah, so uh, the kulintang is uh, a series of eight metal gongs laid out horizontally, and from left to right, and the lowest pitch is on the left, and then it progresses to a higher pitch um, as you go to the right of the instrument. And it's also the name of the ensemble um, that is led by the main instrument, the kulintang instrument. So, Um, it is meant to be played in a community setting and it's meant to be played um, with other people. And I think that when Pantayo came together, it just kind of made sense for us to play it together, to learn it together and kind of uh, interpret the music in in our own way.
0: I know from playing folk instruments in my own life that sometimes if I take these instruments that are sort of sacred to uh, my community and I play them in a way that's unconventional, I can sometimes expect a little bit of blowback from that community, or sometimes oh, I can expect to be embraced by that community. Has that been the case for you?
2: Oh, I think both ends of that spectrum is, is ongoing. I think we did definitely encounter um, teachers and um, musicians that are totally going for, you know, we should preserve it. in in this way, in how our teachers played it. And then there's another school of thought that, you know, that is all for growing the culture in in a sense that it needs to be relatable to the people that are listening and to the people that are playing it. So yeah, it's a never ending push and pull. But I think the important thing with, with this conversations is that it needs to continuously happen. And we're just, really honored that we are we are heard and we have a seat at that table to voice out what we think and i think what we in in our practice um we do tend to lean away from the traditional because um, there is no way for us to maintain a certain benchmark yeah. um, because we didn't yeah we didn't learn from from uh, a traditional teacher so we learn from each other yeah
0: I, I understand that tension of you know do we put a, a glass case over a tradition or do we try to let it evolve and develop as it always has to try and reach the people who who kind of need it and, and and speaking of like mm-hmm. reaching the people who kind of need it that kind of brings us to the to the song we're going to play today it's called one more latch give it to you mm-hmm. now I'd love for you to talk about this but I, I've heard you talk about how how much the band's queerness the Filipino identity uh, being members of the diaspora as you mentioned has has mm-hmm. meant to you how, how does that Make its way into the song we're about to hear.
2: Yeah, um, I think for for this new album that we have um, called Ampang um this is our our opportunity to turn inwards and to really explore, um, you know, thoughts and feelings and um, expressions of what we what we are going through. And and one of those experiences is our queerness. And you know, there's a lot of intersections for each of our members. But being a queer Filipino in Toronto, um, there's so many layers to that. And one of the layers that we wanted to explore was, you know, desire, explicit sexual desire, um, as a queer person, and um, and how that is maybe in contrast with how Filipinos are seen in Canada. Um, there's a big connection between um, Filipinos and and caregiving, and and that. A specific labor um, Filipinos are seen as nurses nannies, um, ca- caregivers and this is one way for us for Pantayo to uh, to present ourselves and you know people in our community as you know we are able to feel these things as well we are whole human beings that have this rainbow of of experiences and so um to to do that, even even if it's, you know, um, maybe straying away from previous themes that we've explored as a group, this is really refreshing for us first also. And we hope that um, that also translates to our audience.
0: Well, I, I'm so excited people are going to get a chance to hear it. Would you would you mind saying who you are, the name of the band, and, and introducing this, the song for us?
2: Yeah. Hi, I'm Kat. Uh, I'm from Pantayo, and this is One More Latch. Give it to you.
1: The Toronto-based Kulintang ensemble with a new track called One More Latch. Their latest album, Ung Pugdaloy, is out now. You can find more on their bandcamp. Alright, that's it for this episode of Q. You can find another episode in your podcast feed today. It's Tom Powers Conversation with Rebecca Black. Her name automatically brings up that song Friday. It might be playing in your head right now. Maybe you saw the viral video when it came out. She went through so much as a result of that song, so much bullying, so much scrutiny. And it's kind of astounding that she has found her way back from all of that to make music on her own terms, in her own voice. Find out how she did it. You can check out her conversation with Tom. I'm Talia Schlanger sitting in for Tom Power. See you next time.